are listening to New City Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep into God's word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of his kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. New series today. Normal Christian common practices, uncommon people. You know, as Christians, we have all this normal Christian stuff that we do, these normal Christian rhythms, like reading our Bible and praying together. They're, they're practices that we do, and a practice is simply a habit or a custom that is done frequently, that's done regularly, that's done repeatedly. And although we're all different people as believers in Jesus Christ, each of us is a different individual than the other person. At the same time, as we practice these things, it shapes us uh, and forms us more into being like Christ together. And it's important that we practice these very basic Christian things because if we don't practice them, then they don't shape us. And if we, don't, if we aren't shaped by these practices, then we will be shaped by other things, other things that are normal and common in our culture. Whether you know it or not, you are being shaped by the culture around you, by some things that are common practices in our culture that we might not even realize aren't common practices. Practices like connectedness, practices like busyness, Practices like focusing on our image. We live in an ultra-connected world and each of us practices connection. We are constantly connected. This thing is like never, ten, never farther than 10 feet away from me. I'm constantly connected to it. And as we practice that connection, I wonder how that's shaping us. I wonder if at times we are so captivated by social media posts that we overlook the pain of people right in front of us. I wonder if our phones are always charged and our spirits are always empty by practicing connectedness. We, we're connected to everybody and yet the question is, are we connected to God? We practice connection in this ultimately connected world, but we also practice busyness. We are really busy and it's just normal in our culture to be busy and going to the next thing. You go to the next thing, you get past the next thing, then what's next? We go over and over and over and we're captured by the tyranny of the urgent. If you've heard that phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. What's next? What do I got to get to? It's our cultural practice of busyness. And life is just busy, no, no, no doubt, life is busy. But I wonder at times if some of our busyness is trying, it comes from a place of just trying to keep up with everybody else. Like we're afraid of not getting stuff done because somehow our identity gets wrapped up in those things. We're afraid that if we don't, if our kids don't keep up with everybody else, what does that say about us as parents? So let's just stay busy. So not only do we practice this cultural practice of connection, but we, we stay busy. We're in this rhythm of busyness all the time. And not only that, we, we, we have this cultural practice of curating our image. Curating our image. A, a curator is someone who looks after a collection 
and organizes it and decides what to display publicly. And we are curators of our image. There is so much pressure in our culture to focus on your image. And South Florida is like the Mecca of that. South Florida is like the Mecca of image curation. And there's nothing wrong with being in shape. There's nothing wrong with looking good. There's nothing wrong with being stylish. There's nothing wrong with having a good image. The problem is, for some reason, our culture has attached your value as a human being to the image that you project. And so we have this pressure on us to constantly practice curating our image to our friends, to our family, online. Rather than just stewarding our bodies, we, we, we focus so much on our bodies and how they look and neglect our hearts and our minds before God. We carefully reflect on which picture to post. I've got 30 to choose from. But we ignore our spiritual blemishes before God. I wonder if this is trending us towards curating our image to the public and caring about that more than, rather than focusing on our soul before God. Our culture practices connection, busyness, and curating our image. And I just wonder if these things are shaping us in a way that makes us more alive and more extraordinary people and more uncommon, or, or do they make us kind of boring, just like everybody else? As Christians, we're called to be different we're actually called to be different than the world. We're called to be uncommon people. And what God gives us are these things that seem very common, which is why most of us overlook them. There are seasons of our life, whether you're a new believer or a seasoned believer, where you overlook these practices because it just seems like, ah, I can skip that today. But these rhythms and habits are actually what shape us. These common practices are what make us into com uncommon people. And in a world that's growing increasingly distant from God, it, it's hard to think that praying every day is actually going to change you. And yet it will. Yet it will, it will, it will bring life to your souls. Reading your scripture every day will help you stay connected to God. Practicing renewal and repentance and confession will renew your spirit and your connection to God. And rather than functioning like the rest of the culture, like frantically, it actually gives us a sense of peace. And as we practice these common things, it helps us operate not out of the franticness, but out of love and acceptance and security. These common things are so ordinary that it's almost like why even preach on them? As Christians, we kind of know that's what we're supposed to do and yet all the time we just skip right past them. We forget. Other things seem more pressing. Just things like prayer, things like scripture reading, things like worship, things like confessing our sin and things like sharing our faith. But the reality is if we make those things our habits, if we make those things our practices, if we weave those rhythms into our daily life, it actually makes us extraordinary, uncommon people.
people that stand out in the midst of a world that all looks the same. Today, we're going to be looking at the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. I'm gonna pray for us, and I'm gonna ask John and Ebony to come forward. Ebony's gonna read from the Old Testament. John's gonna read from the New Testament. Come on forward as I pray. Lord Jesus, we do ask that you would help us as we embark on this new sermon series, that you really would shape us and show us how these these practices actually grow your love in us. They, They grow our awareness of your grace. They help us stay deeper connected to you. They remind us of your great love for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, keep us from thinking that this is about performance. If we do these things, you'll love us. It's not that at all. Rather, it's rhythms of spiritual health. I pray that through this series, you would really change us and make us more into the image of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I'll be reading from the Old Testament. Genesis 2, 1 through 3 says, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day for all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. Exodus 20 reads, Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son, or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Deuteronomy 5:15 reads, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Leviticus 23 and third reads, work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest and sacred assembly. You are not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. From the New Testament, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 27 through 28. Then Jesus told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then, the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Gospel of Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hebrews 4, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter the rest. Amen. The word of God. Have you ever had a week of life where there has been no break? Or maybe a season of life where it's like the calendar has been a tyrant over you? Or maybe even uh, a job that was impossible and you did not get any rest? 
That happened to me. I had an impossible job that I did not get any rest from. I was right out of college and I was hired as an assistant social worker in a medical rehab facility. And I liked being the assistant because all the job didn't fall on me. I was just kind of there learning, being mentored and working for the social services director. Until I found out about a year later that there was an opening at another facility, another rehab facility, uh, not too far from that one, a sister facility. And uh, I applied for the job and I got it. And then I found out that the person who had that job was going to take the job that I was leaving. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I got a promotion and she took a voluntary demotion. I took her job and she voluntarily gave it up and took my job. And once I got there, I, I figured out why. It was, it was an impossible job with absolutely no rest. First of all, I needed at the minimum me plus two full-time people just to keep our heads above water as a department. And I just had me plus one. So we were really short uh, a full-time person every week. And then secondly, my job was to keep the, the rehab facility about 95% full so we could pay our bills and we could provide good care, et cetera. You know how the medical field goes. And uh, I, I just couldn't do it. Like I would bring five patients in in one day and six would leave. And just over and over and over again, that would happen. I was like, I can't, I cannot do this. I cannot uh, fill this place up. But there's two particular things that really still make me twitch. I mean, this job was like 15 years ago. And when I talk about these things, I get, I like feel the anxiety coming over me. Uh, one of them was the, the receptionist at this super busy facility was a dear woman who was not gifted to be receiving calls. She was a little cantankerous. And so often I would get calls and they were mad because they had been treated rudely by her for answering the calls. But the thing that really got under my skin was when she would buzz into my office and tell me that a call was coming in and I would hear her voice going, John, and I go, yes. And she'd go, you have calls on lines two, three, and four. And I was like, I'm one person, do the math, if there's three calls, that equals two messages. And when I think about that, I still get anxious. And this job, it just burned me out. It was impossible. But the other moment that makes me twitch was the time I thought about taking some time off. I realized I, I, need, I need a break. And so my break was that I was going to take half a day off on a Friday. I had a, a friend who was coming into town and uh, I thought I'm gonna go in at like seven, which is a little early, so I can leave at noon and spend the rest of the day just resting and enjoying my friend and hanging out with him. I went in at 7 a.m. and I left at 7 p.m. There was so much to do and everyone else was so swamped and I was the only one who could do what needed to be done between noon and 7 p.m. And so not only did I not get the rest of a half day, I had to stay later than everybody else. And when I think about that, I still twitch because <laughs> it was an impossible job with no rest. I don't know if you feel that way with your own job or maybe your responsibilities or maybe just life in general. I don't know if you feel like it is an impossible job with no rest. But the ancient Israelites felt that way. 
They were enslaved in the land of Egypt for hundreds of years. And the Egyptians told them, work. 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 Harvest our crops. Build our buildings. There is no rest for the weary. It is an impossible job. And we are not going to give you rest. The Egyptians oppressed the Israelites so that their work was bitter until God rescued them out of the oppression of Egypt. God saves them from the Egyptians, leads them out into the wilderness. They form a relationship with him and God gives them his commands to obey the 10 commandments. And right there in the 10 commandments is the command rest, rest. Can you imagine how they might have read that commandment? that they were required to rest? The word Sabbath simply means cease. Cease, to, to finish. And what God had commanded the Israelites was that six days you are to work, but then on the seventh day, shut it down. Cease from working. Finish your work and rest. Not just you, but your family the servants in your household, even your animals, they are not to work on the Sabbath. Can you imagine how dignifying that command would have been for people who were commanded to work for hundreds of years? The Israelites treated as subhuman human beings and just the only benefit that they have towards Egypt is their ability to work. And here God is saying, do not work on the seventh day. You are my image bearers. And God himself was a God who worked six days creating the world and on the seventh day rested, ceased his work, looked at his work and said, it is very good. The Bible tells us that God spent six days making the land and the sea and the animals and the stars and after everything, he looks at it and says, it's, it's good. At the end of every day, it's good. But then on the seventh day, he rests and says, it is very good. God is a God who ceased from his work and enjoyed what he had created. And his command to the Israelites is a command that gives them dignity as his image bearers. Rather than making them work endlessly, they are reflecting his image. He is a God who works six days and rests, and he tells them, you are to work six days, but on the seventh day, shut it down and rest. See, we, we talk about the Sabbath, and if you've heard that term, maybe you're familiar with it, and we tend to think about it as a religious ritual that we do. Like it's a religious thing, and it's not a religious thing at all. It's a human thing. It's, it's part of what it means to be human is that we need a break from our work because we are made in the image of God who took a break from his work, who Sabbathed, who ceased. Taking a rest on the seventh day wasn't laziness, it was part of being created in the image of God. It was part of becoming more fully alive as a human being. God himself rested and enjoyed the fruits of his labor, a deep satisfaction looking at creation going, wow, this is very good. And he delights to command the Israelites to do the same, to rest. 
Israel focused their day of rest on the seventh day, and the first Christians did theirs on the first day of the week, Sunday, because Christ had risen and they were resting in what he had done for them. And so on the first day of the week, early Christians gathered to worship and to rest together, to take a break from work and to rest corporately in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself taught that the Sabbath wasn't like a jail cell of things that you're supposed to do and not do. That is being created, that is man being created for the Sabbath. But Jesus taught that the Sabbath was created for man. In other words, it's a gift. When his disciples and he were walking through a grain field and they plucked grain to eat and the Pharisees saw it and they said, oh, that's against the Sabbath rules. Jesus said, you don't get it, man. This is not meant to be a prison that locks you in. The Sabbath is rather is a, a gift that frees you and re renews you and refreshes you physically and spiritually. On the Sabbath, we're meant to physically rest, to cease from our work, but also to be spiritually renewed together as we come together and gather and worship King Jesus. Our worship part of it is this weekly reset that we do together to reorient ourselves to God. Oftentimes I think that the world is in my hands and if I'm not working, it will fall apart. But worship and resting in worship is going, I can put this all down and I can go and worship Jesus who's seated on the throne and has all things in his hand. And that frees us to come here on Sunday mornings and sing together and serve each other and sit and listen to the word and Sabbath rest as God's blended family. So let me ask you, are you exhausted? Are you out of energy? Do you not have a capacity for people? Are you taking a Sabbath rest? Are you taking a Sabbath rest? You are a human being created in the image of your God who rested, who ceased from his work. Have you neglected the practice Sabbath? I realize it's hard in a, in a busy world, but do you have a day that you cease from working? A, a day where you have this rhythm of rest, I'm going to cease from what I normally do. And to do that, you have to be crazy intentional now, and you also did then. The Israelites had to prepare beforehand to rest, and we have to do the same. Matt Pierman says, what's helpful is to define what's most important in your life based on what God says, not first on what you or others think. And that gives you a real freedom when you know that God is prioritizing your life to say, I'm going to do this and not going to do that because God doesn't say I have to do that. And then all of a sudden you find that your schedule has some freedom that it did not before. So the question is, are you doing stuff that God doesn't require of you? Like, are you trying to keep everyone in your life happy? God doesn't require you to keep everyone in your life happy. And the truth is, if you think that that's what you have to do, you will never be able to rest. You'll never be able to take a day off. 
But then also, are, are you taking too much time on things that keep you from the stuff that God actually requires? We have so many things available to us that seem normal and are simply just time killers. I mean, think about the phrases that are in our culture now, like binge watching Netflix, right? And, 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 and even now on the iPhone, it's got this timer that tracks how much you're on social media. I think that stuff is good to track for myself because I'm like, I don't need to spend that much time doing these things that don't really matter. That might actually be keeping me from getting my work done, which keeps me from actually resting and unplugging and not doing my work. You know, sometimes our families need help. Sometimes there are emergencies and on our day off, we, we just have to do something to help. Sometimes we cannot get off of work. Some of you are in the medical profession and you have to work. The people need their heart rates checked and they need serving. Uh, some of you are in the military and you've got to protect our country. But sometimes it's not those things. Sometimes we can't rest because we simply just want to get ahead. We just want to get ahead and we've got so much anxiety about stuff to do rather than resting in Jesus who holds the world in his hands. We rest in the fact that oh, I'm just going to keep working. I'm going to keep getting it done because the world doesn't rest. So why should we? But the truth and reality is maybe we can't physically rest because our souls are not at rest in Christ. We can't rest because our souls are enslaved to something. Tim Keller puts it this way. God liberated his people when they were slaves in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, which Ebony read, God ties the Sabbath to freedom from slavery. There's one more slide. Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave. Now listen to this. To a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, or to all of the above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom. Now, first of all, if you're an employer and you do not give your employees a Sabbath break, I would encourage you to do so. Because man, those Chick-fil-A employees are always happy Monday through Saturday. And they serve some delicious chicken every time I'm in there. But seriously though, I mean, think about it. Requiring employees to work every day, they just burn out. And if you've worked every day, you know that, that you burn out. So there's that, but, but there's also this sense that maybe, maybe we, we, we can't say no to someone's request. Like we have to do what they say because we have a deep addiction to please people. Maybe we just want to get a little bit ahead because our identity is trapped in being a little bit better than the next person. Maybe we keep doing things because we see our value as a human being and what we get done. Maybe we just have to pursue those posts and get likes so that we know they still like us rather than relying on God's love for us. Maybe we can't stop taking care of things because we're not trusting God who's in control of all things. See, we often can't stop working. We can't cease. We can't rest because we're enslaved to something 
besides the love of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're captured not by God's love, but by some idol, some notion to please someone, some identity that we have. Chan Kilgore puts it this way. When I ask people how they are doing, they often reply, busy. You ever say that? Busy. We define ourselves by what we do rather than by what Christ has done. And the result is that we are weary and restless. Jesus gives us this invitation in Matthew eleven twenty-eight: Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on, I find within my soul that I am weary and heavy laden by the endless pursuit of idols. Every idol promises you life and life to the fullest, but in the end causes you to sacrifice everything in pursuit of it. The cost is often seen in everyday weariness. What we really need to do is rest in a savior who has sacrificed everything for us up front and can give us life and life to its fullest every day as well as for eternity. See, our, our solution, whether you can get off or not, or whether there's a family emergency or not, the deeper issue is whether we are really resting in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus offers us. Rest in him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God created and then he rested. God commanded that his people rest. God told them that he would take them into the promised land as a place of rest. But then God gives us Jesus Christ to rest in. He provides rest for you. And the question then is, have you come to him with your need for rest? He gives rest. Are you resting in Jesus? Have you ceased getting things done in order to rest in his promise to take care of you? Have you rested outdoing other people instead experienced the freedom that comes from Jesus loving you regardless of what you've done? Have you stopped living to please others and rested in the fact that Jesus' work is pleasing to God and you're in him? Our identity can be so wrapped up in performance and we need to identify that and say, Lord, help me to stop doing that because then, it's when then we can rest in Jesus' perfection and not our performance. Have you ceased? Have you rested in Jesus who provides his love for you, his care for you, his forgiveness of your sins, his promises, his commitment, his power, his position, his victory over sin and death is all for you to rest in. Sabbath rest is a setting aside of a day to cease working, but it, even deeper, it's a resting of our soul in Jesus who invites us to come. Come and find rest. Sabbath is ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ his finished work of salvation, that we can actually come to him, turn away from our sins, believe in what he's done, and rest in his finished work on the cross for us. Jesus was put on the cross on our behalf that we might turn to him and receive forgiveness. He was put in the tomb that he, he died the death that we should have died, and on the third day he rose from the dead, 
by the power of God that we might have new life. Are you resting in that? Is that the, is that the main crux of what you focus on in your life? The, the, the reality is probably not, which is why we need the invitation over and over and over again from Jesus, come to me and I will provide you rest. Jesus wants us to live in this rest, to make a physical practice of rest on the Lord's day, but also to live in that reality of Sabbath rest in Christ every day. To stop doing good works to prove that we're a good person, but rather to trust in Jesus' goodness for us and serve God out of thankfulness rather than to prove something. Instead of trying to be good enough to be in God's presence, resting in the fact that Jesus has cleansed you, and now you're welcome before the throne of the Almighty. To persevere in trials because even though it's challenging to find rest in the midst of the trials, one day Christ will return and set everything new and we will rest, we will Sabbath rest for eternity together with Jesus. And that's really the point of this table. The point of this table, just like the Sabbath, it's not a religious ceremony. Rather, it's for you to come and experience rest right now in him. As the worship team comes up, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, knowing that his disciples were about to abandon him, knowing that they were about to leave him, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In a similar manner, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Friends, this is a table of rest for spiritually weary people. This is a table where Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me, all of you who know that you need forgiveness for sins. Come to me, all of you who are tired of performing and find rest in my work for you. My body was broken, my blood was shed so that you might rest. Have you entered that rest? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? See, anyone who needs rest can come. Anyone who said, I know I'm a sinner and I'm going to cease from my life of sin and instead turn to Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ and are resting in him, and if you're part of a local church body, we invite you to come and have your rest renewed. This isn't just a religious ceremony. This is for people who have relationship with Jesus and say, again, I need that refreshment that through Christ, my Sabbath rest, I am safe, I am forgiven. He is Lord of the Sabbath. If that's you today, we would invite you to come. If you're here this morning and you're not walking with Christ, you're on a spiritual journey and you're exploring uh, spirituality, uh, feel free to just stay in your seat and just pray and say, Jesus, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And if I'm not at rest, reveal that to me and how to find rest in you. But if you need rest in Jesus Christ, if you're walking with him and you're part of a local church, we invite you to come forward and have your rest renewed.